Hi, this is Pat Blythe, and welcome to Love the Music. Today's date is Tuesday, September 21st, 2021. These are the Pandemic Interviews, conversations in a changing time. I've been talking to Canadian artists since June of 2020, checking in to see how they're coping, both personally and professionally. As we all continue to manage our lives in this new, insane reality, we all remain hopeful there is an end in sight. I have begun to circle back around to some of the artists I spoke to last year. We'll revisit some original questions and pop in a few new ones. The first published podcast was drummer Paul DeLong so I thought it fitting I would begin my updates with Paul. Canada was just coming out of the first wave of the pandemic when we initially chatted. Our second conversation took place this past April, right in the middle of the third wave. Here we are, five months later, September 2021, experiencing a fourth wave. Today I'm sitting here with drummer Paul DeLong. Paul was interview number 13 last June, and at that time, we were just coming out of the first wave of the pandemic. Paul has had an extensive career in music. Let me see if I can sum it up in one paragraph. Paul is a Juno Award-winning performer and has spent almost 55 years as a working musician, touring and recording with artists Dominic Triano, Kim Mitchell, Lawrence Gowan, David Clayton Thomas, Rick Emmett, Roger Hodson, and a host of others. He is an author of two books on drumming and has been an educator at Humber College for 33 years. Paul is a member of two tribute bands, Brass Transit, The Music of Chicago, and Pretzel Logic, The Music of Steely Dan. He is also part of two collaborative tribute shows, Jeans and Classics, performing the music of Queen, Supertramp, The Who, Rocky Horror, and many more, and the theatrical production of The One Show, a tribute to the Beatles. Paul is also the leader of his own fusion band, Paul DeLong's One Word. Welcome, Paul. Did I capture everything? I almost nodded off there. I was... That was not enough? Needs no, no, to be no, more. I, no. I said I almost nodded off because... Uh, there's so long a list of stuff, you know. So. It's a good list. It's what I yeah. used to do when I had a life. But and yeah. it's it's been a busy it's been a busy life and a busy career. <laughs> okay, so we're now over a year into the pandemic. It's been almost a year since I last interviewed you, and by the end of 2019, everybody was planning different things for 2020, beginning of a new decade, a year of positivity. How were you appro- How were you approaching 2020? Well, I was looking forward to a busy summer ahead, and I had all kinds of gigs booked and gigs with, uh, with my band, and I was, I was just looking forward to, like, I got into the last the last 10 years has been great, like, I just um, playing all the time, playing all the music I like all the time and making money and just having a fine old time. So I was just thinking, well, 2020 is going to be uh, um, that again, and then it wasn't. And it wasn't. So how have you been keeping busy? Uh, eating and drinking. No, I said that. See, I, all all my answers are going to be the same as last year, except now I, I'm giddy uh, with. Last year I was more depressed. This year I'm beyond depressed. So I'm just. I it. Uh, if you go far enough, giddy turns into or depressed turns into giddy. So now I'm giddy. So um, what was the question? How have you been keeping busy? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, I have been. I've been recording an awful lot at home for people. Uh, I must have done like. 30 tracks in the last year 35 i mean you might think well that's not that many but recording at home i'm you know when life was normal it's funny because i was out playing all the time i might go months and months without doing a track for someone and because of the pandemic everybody's working on their their project and oh well now i have time to do an album so i've been busy recording for people do all kinds of different things so uh, and doing videos a lot of people want a video with the recording so i have to do that as well and uh, and I have been teaching online at Humber and um, doing my Humber lessons online and practicing and uh, watching too much Netflix. Um, now, didn't your band do a video last September? Uh, well, we did a live. Uh, not well, it looked like it was live, but it, there was no audience. But we did uh, in Collingwood, yes, uh, which was cool. Um, not bad at all, actually, and um, so that was that was fun. But that was the last time we played in a room together. But it was heaven doing that, like just being able 
to, just to play with humans is great. The last bar gig I did was last September with Pretzel Logic at, at Timothy's Pub in um, Etobicoke. And then uh, I guess the one word thing in Collingwood was in October. You would know. Yep. And uh, that's been it for live, for actually being in a room and playing music with people. Yeah, so. so what's changed for you in the past year in your approach to your craft? I think, uh, well, you know, I inadvertently probably got better at record, at recording at, at home, and my my uh, skills as a as a drummer who can interpret songs and songwriters' songs, maybe that's gotten better because I've been doing a lot of that. So that's that's probably been a good thing. Uh, I've been practicing uh, some new things on the drums, uh, which I was doing last year, but I've just been pursuing that more. So I think I've made some progress with some of the things I've been working on. And You got uh, a new drum kit during I, the I got a new drum too. kit. I bought myself a pandemic drum kit. A big, Being the Billy Cobham fanatic I am, I bought myself a kit identical to Billy Cobham, the one he played with Mahavishnu, the big fives plexiglass kit. So I have that. So that's been my salvation, being able to go to the basement. Even if I don't feel motivated to do a track for someone or something. I can always go to the basement. I was just playing the fives this morning before I got on my bike and came down here, as a matter of fact. So I always, yeah, that's uh, been a lifesaver for me, playing those drums. So how have you been coping personally? Not great. I'm still not one of those people who has reveled in all this and, oh, now I have time to do this and a time to do that. I was just reading, like, Ted Warren uh, yesterday on Instagram. Ted Warren, great drummer. I'm a big fan. He's a great jazz drummer. And he's saying that he realized that his professional life or, or playing gigs did not define him as a musician. And so he's been um, practicing, he said, more than ever. He's been playing piano more than ever, or really working on his piano playing, and learning ukulele even. And I realized, well, I guess I am defined by my gigging life. Like, it it means a whole lot to me to to be doing concerts and getting the feedback. Just it's a it's a very uh, rewarding thing for me. So take away my gigs, everything else is like a poor substitute. So I guess we're in a Ted and I are in a totally different headspace about that. The best thing I can do for myself is to keep busy. When I'm busy, I'm okay. It doesn't matter what is going on in the world. When I get involved in um, working on a track or, or working on... Tuning drums. Yeah, no, doing anything that takes my mind off uh, the, the daily numbers of COVID cases. The world goes away and I'm like, I'm zoned on that thing. So the more I can zone on just working on things, productive, you know, you can get to the point with this thing where you're just sitting around and you go, well, what's the point of doing anything? Or I don't feel motivated. I know I was talking to a guy, a friend of mine yesterday that... Uh, didn't play drums for eight months. He just didn't feel inclined to hit the drums at all. Wow. So that's the opposite extreme, too. Uh, like, I've always, no matter how bad I feel, I always want to hit the drums. But, you know, I might just go down there for 10 minutes and then go, okay, I don't want to do this anymore. But generally, I'm, I'm good for an hour or two, you know. And, um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, busy is, is good. It's the answer for me. The last time we spoke, you were writing. You had a oh. bit of a creative spurt last year. Oh, yeah. No, I've come up with some drum stuff, but it's not, I don't call that writing. I call write, like writing a song, I call that. but uh, Creating. Creating. Okay, I've been, I've been coming up with some new things and writing them down on, well, I use a finale um, computer program to transcribe music and stuff. So, yes, I have been doing that. Is that continued into this year? Yep. I pretty well always have some new ideas on the go, and I like that. And uh, I've been passing those on to my students. I, I would think, you know, if you know, sometimes I, I I take stock in all the people I recorded for and all the stuff I've done in the last year, and it's a fair amount of stuff, you know. I've you know every once in a while on Facebook or in Instagram, I'll put out a video of just me playing by myself or playing along with a track or something. Which always feels good. I put it out there. Uh, I know people probably think, well, well, when musicians post that stuff, they probably think, well, they're looking for somebody to say, oh, Paul, you're great, you know, or whatever. But it's not about that. It's just about accomplishing something, doing so. Here it is. I'm, I've done something. I Instead of sitting around today, I've actually done something. So it's more, I'm just putting it out there. And if somebody enjoys it, that's cool. But it's just more of a personal thing to feel like I'm making some kind of progress. Well, you're also putting two mediums together too. You're playing and you're creating a video yeah. and editing, et cetera. Yeah. So another part of your creativity. 
Virtual collaborations. Now, you've done some over the past year. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about that? You weren't too positive about it the last time we <laughs> <laughs> last time we spoke. Has that changed? Uh, no, I think I'm. I think uh, I'm sick of it, and I think everybody's sick of watching these fake. Things that look like people are playing together, but they're not really playing together. And even though I have another one on the go right now. <laughs> you do with your band. With my band, yeah. But I, it's at first it was a real novelty. You know, everybody was doing it and it was cool. But now it's like, man, forget this. Let's just get in a room together and play, you know. So it uh, it gets old. And a year is a long time of, of that stuff. So I think people are rather jaded on that stuff now. So, I mean, there's some incredible ones like... <clears throat> You know, you see Jacob Collier or one of these guys doing these fantastic things all by themselves where they're playing at every instrument and they have a video of them playing every and all that kind of thing. Or choirs of the same person, you know, singing all harmony parts and stuff. It's That's incredible. But still, it's not a band playing, you know, so. You teach. Now, you have to teach virtually as mm-hmm. well. How are you finding that? I'm actually, it's actually been fine. It's been good because... Last uh, March, when this hit, I hadn't finished that uh, the year at Humber yet, so we had to scramble. All of a sudden, it's like, no lessons this week. We, we're going online. So I tried Skype at first, found that didn't work. So we got into Zoom. Then we've had, oh, the audio settings, like you know, the drummer, the student hits the snare once, the limiter kicks in, and then you don't hear anything after that. So, oh, we have to redo the audio settings in Zoom. So, um, so there's a huge learning curve. Uh, for me and for the students. And so by the time this September rolled around, uh, the students had, they all, all, they had bought a couple of mics, they bought an interface, they had it uh, under control so that they could, when they play the drums, it actually sounds like something. When they talk to me, I can hear them. And, and, um, now we can't play together or anything. I can play for them. I can play along with a track for them, play the music. I, I show them YouTube videos. We share the, share the screen and show them YouTube videos. They play for me. It's not as good, but it's not it's not horrific. I was dreading it, and it's actually, I don't mind it, especially in the winter, uh, in the dead of winter, when I don't have to get in my car and drive to Humber, and I can, you know, stay in my jammies and teach. It's fine. <laughs> it's good, you know. <laughs> so it's not so bad, but I, I would like to get back to normal lessons. It's just be so nice just to I used to like jamming with my students we would you know part of every lesson I would say let's trade fours or let's you know play or I would you know it's so much easier you just say try this no 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 don't don't do that your high hat's too loud do this you know and it's so much easier than um than when it's virtual but um but it's okay it's all right it's okay so it's working out yeah do you think isolation has encouraged more collaboration among artists <laughs> who don't normally play together because everybody, you know, previous to 2020, everybody's been on the road. So yeah. if you want to collaborate with somebody, it's like juggling schedules is next to impossible. Maybe Christmas time yeah. sort of thing. So do you think that that has encouraged more more artists working together <clears throat> that wouldn't normally? I think a little bit. Yeah, probably. Have you been working with anybody that you wouldn't normally have had the chance to work with before? Well, yeah, like uh, this bass player, Jason Razzo, I've done well, five or six tracks now with him. I don't know Jason. I've never met him in person. I talked to him on the phone once now, but he called me up out of the blue or he emailed me and said, do you want to do this? Like there's been a bunch like Chris Burkett, um, a few people that I had never previously met. And all of a sudden it's like, hey, do you want to do something? You know? um, and it's funny because I think Chris Burkett, who's a great songwriter, by the way, he... Oh, he saw my plaintive little post on Facebook of of how depressed I was and everything, and he said, well, do you want to record something? And I said, sure, and it turned into uh, a a great tune, and uh, so that was neat. I mean, normally I probably wouldn't cross paths with him because I have my clique of musicians I play with, sort of. So, yeah, so so there's been some collaboration probably, and that's probably happened on a big scale, even with, like, major name artists and stuff that have been uh, doing some of that kind of thing, too. So, yeah, so that's one another sort of positive thing. So one of the questions I asked last year was about live performance being the key to the development of new artists as well as artists who've been around for a long time. I don't remember what your answer was last year, so I'm going to ask the question again. What do you think the future of live music is going to look like? How do you think we're going to keep live alive? Is it going to be more focused on streaming, more focused on social media? Is It can't, or I shall perish. Uh, 
<laughs> no, it, it's got to come back. It's got to. Like, this streaming thing, uh, it's no good. I mean, that's this is just everything I say is my opinion, of course. But I just, uh, it, it people people got to be in a concert hall. They got to see the artist sweat. They got to feel the power coming off the stage. Sitting in your car or, or sitting at home, it doesn't cut it. And, you know, it might not come back for a long time, it, but it might. Like, I'm going to Wyoming in May to do a brass transit gig. And That's right. Plan to I think we're we're splitting the sh- um, where we, normally we would do one show for a, a theater of six hundred or something or however big it is I don't know it's a small theater maybe it's five hundred I don't know but anyway we're doing two shows and the, we're allowed two hundred seventy five people a show and they'll be spread out and stuff that's where it's going to start so is that two shows in one day or yeah over two a shows in of one days? day one day okay so that's where we're going to start and that's how it's going to go for a while. Now, outdoor festivals, I think, here have already been kiboshed, but I think in the States they're going to be happening, you know. I think the States actually, whether they're foolhardy or not, I don't know. Like, I don't know anymore what people are saying. Well, Texas opened up, and yet the numbers are going down. I don't know if that's true or not. Maybe, you know, who knows? And there's variants and all this stuff. So nobody knows what's exactly going to happen. But I have a feeling that U.S. will open up and has already started opening up on this sort of thing but way before Canada will. But that's okay because most of my work was in the U.S. anyway. I have Right now, in 2021, I have one gig in Canada with Brass Transit, and that's in December. I have gigs all summer booked, you know, with that band. But, like, again, no, we don't know, like, how it's going to go. Like, it could be catastrophe again uh, with the variants, or it actually could start to clear up with the vaccine and everything. So that's that's the... I know I'm meandering from your question, but that okay. is the thing about this that is is really distressing is you don't know, like, what is going to happen at all. I like to know what I'm doing. I like planning, uh, you know. Um, I like looking at my calendar and I know, okay, I'm going to be in Schenectady on this date and we're leaving the day before. I have it all planned out. You know, I know how. <laughs> this gig in Wyoming, it's May 7th. Well... As of now, it's happening, and the promoter's into it, and, uh, you know, it's all happening. But some catastrophic thing could happen in the next few weeks where the numbers get so huge that they shut everything down, and we may not be going anywhere. So it just remains to be seen. To me, it's the live music has got to come back somehow. In the mid-1990s, Paul was the drummer for a fusion band called The Code. They recorded a single CD, which was never published. One of the songs is called Song for Bumby. John Pelosi, leader of the code, used to call his daughter Bumby.
I do have one more question about streaming. Okay. Is um, one interview I've had is that somebody mentioned, and I had actually never thought of this, is streaming and touring. Streaming can be used actually as a marketing tool or a promotional tool, but with the actual live performance. So you're using the streaming in order to promote and market your tour that's coming up. So they can actually, because they're becoming more and more professional looking yeah. with doing it from the clubs, et cetera, your, your electronic press kit, there's your streaming video. Yeah. Well, you got to make sure you don't give too much away or people won't want to buy a ticket. They say, oh, I saw them on t- <laughs> you know. We'll have to learn to do clips. Yes. Clips are good. So do you think 2020 is actually a career killer? For a lot of artists, particularly, and when I say that, particularly for artists who were not so well established. Well, I don't know, because it's funny listening to, um, like, who was that one, uh, the, the um, one I oh, listened Susie to? Corey. She, yeah. And she was very positive about it, because as a new artist, and she hadn't been on the road touring and that much, or, or... No, her first tour got canceled. Yeah, so yeah. so for her, everything was, was new, and, and this streaming thing was working out for her, a virtual thing. So maybe new artists who don't know what it's like to go and be on the road and play concerts and everything, for them, this is like, hey, this is great. I can get my stuff out here and I don't have to go anywhere. And it's so they may have a positive outlook on that, that, that it, yeah, this works for me. Any response from your students? I mean, some of them are would be brand new coming into the music scene. Yeah, I don't know. Like Have they're you not even, anything? They don't Have talk you? about no. gigs or anything. Like like at the best of times, um, when I was still sitting next to them, a lot of them weren't working that much. Like there was because it's just not that that much work. But um, but now they don't even talk about that. They're just trying to get through school and and get their work done at school because it's like, I mean, you know, just in the same way, I'm not talking about gigs that much because they're not there. You know, so so maybe maybe not. Yeah. Okay, so we're, we all joke about and talk about what-if scenarios, what we should be doing for those just-in-case times. Could anyone have possibly even been slightly prepared for something like this? That's a really good question. I haven't met anybody who <laughs> was, but uh, I certainly wasn't. Um, well, I guess if you had got us some uh, Heinz beans in the basement, you'd, yeah, you're... And, and toilet paper, then yeah, you were prepared. I don't know, like, uh, but on a musical level, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I know I've asked this question before with everybody, and it's that's what they come up with: is the food and the money. <laughs> and I'm thinking more along the lines of, you know, with product, could they have recorded earlier? Could they have prepared this better? Could they have? Could you know? Because I work in a world of what ifs all the time with some of my work and planning, and that's why we have insurance policies. Do you think anybody could have? Are musicians a breed that just live day to day? Well, you, I mean... It's a thinker. Yeah, I remember like 30 years ago when I was still married and uh, <laughs> this these friends of ours, uh, uh, this the, the, the guy, he worked for Coca-Cola or something. He, and he, one day he said to me, um, I sort of said, you know, I, my, I have my calendars booked up like two or three months in advance, but then after that, I don't know. And he just was freaking out. He said, how do you live? How do you sleep at night not knowing what you're going to do in two or three months? And I said, no, but the work, it always comes in. And it always has for my whole career. It always has. And I just have faith and it will, you know. So I never, I never really, as far as I'm concerned, if, if, you know, like with Brass Transit or something, we, we could have gigs booked for a whole year and then a bit into the next year. Uh, but, but prior to that band and everything, and when I was freelancing more, I didn't worry about, uh, the future that much but i mean maybe we i don't know maybe you, i mean it's just so absurd the, the, and, and surreal is the word actually yeah. this whole thing that you could never be prepared for it and right. i mean i don't know like i could have printed more books i don't know I'm not, I'm, <laughs> yeah. i don't know you well know. it's just i mean some people <clears throat> have come up and just said no right off the bat and yeah. that's it you know yeah. others have come up with everybody's come up with a different answer actually yeah. And you, I, one of the questions I have is a race of planners, and you've talked about planning. I mean, yeah. we all like to plan. Mm-hmm. It's inherent in the human species, I think, is to plan. Yeah. We're all full. Calendars are always full. Do you think people are continuing to plan and remaining optimistic, or have they just relented and somewhat and just kind of taking it day by day? I think um, it's human nature to um, to be optimistic and, and hope for the best and... Uh, 
Yeah, I mean that's all you got if you because otherwise you turn into a, you're just a mess, like a <laughs> depressed mess, and uh, so you gotta hope that things will get better. Like even uh, Victor Frankl, the guy that wrote *Man's Search for the Meaning of Life*, he concentration camp survivor, and he noted the people in the concentration camp that survived were the ones that that still had hope in their soul. Like they still, there were some people that just gave up, and those were the ones that died or. They're just, yeah, they just, uh, they lost the will to live and they just, that was it. And, but the ones that, um, that still retain that hope, they, and I've read a, a, num- a number of different books by um, Holocaust survivors and they all said the same thing. Even though they were broken physically or whatever, they still were able to maintain that hope. So this isn't as bad as the Holocaust, but it's the same thing. You have to retain the hope or else uh, all is lost, I think. You know? Hope keeps us going. Yeah. Putting things off. We're all a nation of procrastinators. I think I think that's my middle name. So do you think there will be coming out of this less procrastination and more action once we're back to a semblance of normal? Less tendency to put things off? Yeah, I think so. You're absolutely right. Yeah. I think um once you have the freedom to just do what <laughs> we used to do. I think it'll be people carping their DM all over the place, you know, it'll be uh <laughs> Definitely, um, yeah, you, you'll just want to make hay while the sun shines. Because, I mean, this could happen again. We, um, they're saying, you know, like like it, nobody expected it, uh, but it could happen again at some point. So I guess, yeah, you have to have to make hay while the sun shines for sure. And Yeah, my niece has a little pencil case, and across the pencil case it says, Carpe, fuck the DM. <laughs> so, seize the day, folks. Do you think artists in general – are more flexible or adaptable to change, have more creative approaches? Because I keep hearing the word pivot. Everybody can pivot. If they can't do it this way, they pivot and they do it this way. Do you think that's more artists are tend, tend to pivot more? To them, I say pivot on this. <clears throat> but uh, sorry, you can edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I can only speak for myself and uh, – <laughs> I'm, I'm like again when I listen to uh, Susie Corey, was that her name? Yes. She, she's the prime example. Of someone who just rolls with it and and goes with the flow, and things happen for her, and it's great, you know. Um, and that's probably the vibe she puts out to the universe, and they, she gets it back. For me, um, it, it doesn't quite work that way. So, I, I, you know, that's that's part of the reason. You know, like I said, some I read peop, some people saying this has been a great time for me to do some things I want to do, like play the ukulele or whatever. For me, it's it's more sitting around wringing my hands going, I got to get back on stage. Why, why am I not working? What's going on? What's going to happen to me? You know, Because um, I'm a worrier. You know, I, I'm, I'm bas- basically, I wake up anxious and I go to sleep anxious, you know. So, <laughs> yeah, I think it depends on, on the person. Uh, everybody's got their own uh, way of dealing, but um, I'm not a pivoter so much. Okay. What do you think it's going to take to get people out to see live performance? Not much. I think people will be flocking out. Uh, well, that's the thing people are saying. It's going to be like the Roaring Twenties again, and people are just so starved for live entertainment that they're going to be flocking to the bars and the concert halls, and it's all going to be great. So I'm I'm hoping for that reality. You know that that would be. Uh, I, th- I I kind of believe that that's the case. You know, because people they love going. They love seeing live music and. They love going to restaurants. I think there should, if we can last that long, that there should be a boom uh, after all this. But we'll see. Well, as the interviewer, I'm not supposed to have an opinion, but I agree with you yeah. on that. I think people are going to flood every every live venue they possibly can. Also, another question from the first interview was the world being on a level playing field. Internationally, nobody can do anything. There might be a few pockets here and there of a little bit of live music, but technically there are no concerts, there are no live performances. So bringing it back just to Canada or even to Toronto, do you think this is a really good opportunity for young indie artists uh, to shine? They don't have the competition of well-known international artists coming into their backyard. But also, conversely, is it a good time for Canadians to be promoting their own? I mean, we produce a lot of very talented people mm-hmm. year in and year out. So maybe we start to shine on our own people? 
instead of focusing on all those big international acts. Yeah, that, yeah, that could work. Um, I think it's natural for Canadians to uh, have this the self um, inferiority complex, like uh, always looking to the big name U.S. artists and thinking, "Well, I'm not that good" or whatever. But yeah, you're right. I, it, it is it levels the playing field for sure. Uh, I think you're right about the. This is a, a could be a time for the indie artists to uh, to shine. You know. And yeah, maybe a bit more pride in in what Canada has to offer. Keeping in mind that a lot of Canadian artists go down to the U.S. Everybody thinks they're U.S. artists, yeah. and they're not, right? Yeah. With the Neil Youngs and yeah. even the Justin Biebers, etc. Yeah. I mean, it's Paul Anka. Yeah. There's a slew of them, mm-hmm. and they're not. They're Canadians. Yeah. Do you think this it, this pandemic? Now that we're over a year into it. People are screaming for live music. Do you think that it has heightened the awareness and the contributions of the music community for the for general audiences? Yes, for 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 the audiences. Yes, um, uh, you know, like I mean, it's normal when we play with Brass Transit. Uh, for you know, we do a meet and greet after the show, and people come up and they just thank us and say, "You you took me back to my high school prom, or you, or my I proposed to my wife with this song, Color My World,' or whatever." You know. People are so appreciative. Or I'm playing a bar in Toronto with Pretzel Logic. Same thing. People just, they come up and they thank you. Uh, they love it so much. So for the general audiences, yes, they love it and they appreciate it. For gov- the government, <laughs> they, I don't, like, I don't think it crosses their mind that this is important. I think we get, we're the last thing to open up. You know, that's the last thing they care about. Because, and I know because our, our um, fearless leader with uh, with Brass Transit and Singer also have been talking to some um, people with the local government and stuff and just making them aware that you could have a concert hall with every other seat and people wearing masks. It could be okay. You got planes full of people sitting side by side. What's the difference? Why couldn't we do And they go, yeah, I guess you're right. You know, they don't even think of it. Like it's entertainment, it, it's like, Oh yeah. Well, it's like all these years I've had people come up to me at parties or when I'm with non-musicians. That's why I don't like hanging around with non-musicians. But <laughs> they come up to me and, you know, we're talking to somebody's wife or husband or something and they go, oh, so you're you're a musician. Oh, do you have a job too? Or do you work as well? You know, and I just want to slap them in the face. But that, that's the mentality that it's it's it's, the, it's not work. Uh, it's not work. It's, it's oh, you have fun doing that. You, I, I remember a babysitter one time when uh, I was saying goodbye to my son. He was two or size size dad. I said, "Dad, he's got to go to work now." And the babysitter laughed and said, "Work? What do you mean? You know?" And it's like you're out playing. You know, like uh, so. How can you call that work? You know? But uh, they just need to be in a van driving to Capiscasing in January, sliding off the road, going to play With some no heat, going to play some crappy bar. You know, <laughs> then 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 you realize, oh yeah, there's some work involved in this. But anyway, I digress a lot. Um, yeah, I wish. Um, the government would look at it like the the way that uh, the the general public does, as far as the importance of entertainment is hugely important. Think about Broadway, New York. Broadway is closed down. It's it's crazy just to think about that because I mean Times Square, all those theaters, and and uh, it's just astounding. And you think of the the revenue loss, but also just the vibe of that city, and just it's it's a big deal to go to see a to see um, a musical on Broadway and all that. That's just all gone now. So, you know, it's got to come back. It's, it's just got to. Fingers crossed. Yeah. This song is also a code tune called I Love Spending Time With You, written by John Pelosi for his late father. John's father was a farmer, a simple, hardworking, old country Italian man, and John really looked up to him. Apparently, his father was also quite a character. On lead vocals for this song is Mike Forfolia.
what's one piece of advice you would give young musicians starting out? You've been in the business for coming up 55 years. You've played with hundreds of well-known musicians. You've toured. Um, you Juno Awards. You've got all the whole nine, the whole enchilada. Looking at musicians now, what's one piece of advice you would give them? Wear your earplugs. <laughs> <laughs> no, that that's actually a really that's good a really good advice. piece of advice. But um, I, if I, if I've had a successful career at all, at all, it's been because I've di- done a lot of diverse things. I, I, you know, I played with bands for sure, but I also freelanced quite a bit, and I uh, I did jingles, and I did ten years of musical theater, and I did uh, just all kinds of varied things. Um, so you were open to opportunities that yeah. came your way. Yeah, I think um, being in one band has never, unless that band becomes huge, that's it's the kiss of death for uh, a musician. I think a young musician, you just got to be ready and open and versatile enough uh, to anything comes along, you're there. You know, if some ballet company <laughs> wants to do a thing with drummers or, you know, like I've done the crazy gigs. Like I, I did one time, I did a car show downtown, Steve Heathcote and I, another drummer, uh, we were 15 feet in the air on each side of the stage where they were showing all the cars and we were playing, we had headphones on, we were playing and stuff. Then we would come down these ladders and, and put on snare drums and, and, uh, trade licks and all this stuff, and it, it paid me like six thousand bucks or something. But you got to so so you got to be that's that's way better than than driving to Capus Casing with a band. So you got to be ready with no heat in the vehicle. With no heat, <laughs> yeah. So so it, I've done all kinds of uh, uh, things like that. The, these opportunities come. The more you're out playing with different people and and or just getting in different scenes, you know, like okay, so you might do a jingle, and then and the client is in the uh, control room. That client, he's watching you record, and he's, and, you know, that drummer's pretty good. So then something comes up. I did this thing a few years ago. I don't know what it was for. Me, by myself, with the drums, uh, playing some jungle kind of thing. And, and the guy, he, 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 told, he had seen me play somewhere or something, and he told me he wanted me to come up with um, some kind of tribal drum thing. Uh, so I had to write the piece, two-minute-long piece, and, and, and record and I. I pre-recorded a bunch of crap, but then I played live. Again, that is like I played for two minutes or three minutes, and I got a thousand bucks for that or something. So that's the kind of thing. This guy just happened to see me play somewhere, and thought, and thought, well, let's get that drummer, you know. So they f- try and find me or whatever. So all kinds of stuff like that have happened uh, over the years, and and it's been that's been far better than like I said, just staying in one band or, or whatever, trying slogging away with one band, unless you make it huge and then you're okay. But I, that's a, that's that's a roundabout way of saying, be open, be versatile, be able to do anything, and go with whatever it is. You know, I decided I wanted to get into musical theater, and because I seemed like a good way to make money, and it, plus I liked the whole thing, and I did it for like ten years, show to show to show, you know, and and it was great. Uh, but you have to have your reading together, and you have to be able to follow a conductor, and and all those skills you have to develop them, you know. So, yeah, I wish I, we could uh, I could rewind and do the, that in a more concise way. What I just said, but. You, you get the that's picture. That's okay. We'll edit, but that's good. That's really good because yeah. it's it's good. It, the stories are good. The information yeah. is good from somebody who's been who's experienced yeah. in the business, and you have done all sorts of things. I mean, your style of drumming has just you can do just about anything on the drums. Yeah, I, I can I can cover a lot of ground. I'm, I'm uh, fusion. You have Afro Cuban. Yeah, I, I regular can, uh, jazz, rock. Yeah, I, I can I can sound. Authentic in a, in a variety of styles, you know, maybe not the greatest country drummer in the world, but I can fake that too pretty yeah. well. So uh, <laughs> once you learn how to fake sincerity, you're all right. Just kidding. Um, uh, but that's a good piece of advice. <laughs> yeah. And wear your headphones and or wear your wear earplugs. earplugs that's wear right. your earplugs. Yes, yes. We've all lost some hearing. And take over enough the socks years. and underwear on the road with you. Right. Clean underwear and socks. Yeah, always. Very key. Yeah. What have you found to be the most difficult or challenging? during this pandemic? Uh, just trying to find ways to occupy my time. You can only watch so much Netflix and stuff. Man, I, I have an acoustic guitar and I, I ha- hack away at that and I haven't touched it in six months, which is terrible. The, the hardest thing is staying motivated. 
because it's easy to 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 sort of um, just sit there and be overwhelmed by what's going on, especially if you watch the news too much. But just staying motivated to do anything. Like sometimes it's hard just to clean my house or, um, you know, there's something. Oh, I've been meaning to hang that thing up for months now. You know, you go and you actually do it and you, and it goes, oh, I did something. Yay. You know, so, <laughs> you know, like you just got to stay motivated to do everything. Clean your bathroom. Buy, go to the store, get this, uh, fix the back fence, um, you know, what, whatever. It doesn't matter what it is almost. It's just being motivated to do something constructive. Keeping know. a sense of normalcy. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. In very abnormal times. Exactly. That would be it. Yeah. What's the one song that's kept you going when you felt like nothing else could? I think it's Lick My Love Pump by by uh, Spinal Tap. That's a That's a good one, isn't it? <laughs> Okay, sorry. It's in D minor, the saddest of all keys. Um, I, you know what? Uh, uh, my go-to uplifting song is First Circle" by Pat Metheny. I, I would say, yeah, yeah. That that one always makes me go, uh, yeah. But there's an awful lot of music I turn to to uh, to uh, comfort the soul. You know, like uh, Joni said, comfort in melancholy. So sometimes I'll get into like watching. Or listening to uh, music that has meant a lot to me. I, you know, that's a funny thing. Um, I, I, you know, my playlist. You know, because I think I get, send it to you. Mm-hmm. I have this playlist called Great Tunes, and it's all. And I found that, um, like, you know, like I've been eating and drinking too much. It's called comfort food uh, <laughs> drinking, but there's comfort tunes as well. So, yeah. like, all, I, I made a collection of all my favorite old tunes. It gives me great comfort, and I found that I was shying away in this past year from listening to anything kind of avant-garde or or stuff that I jazz things I used to listen to leave me cold now it's got to be something that um warms uh, your heart yeah like so it could be corny old tunes or 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 a lot of fusion stuff a lot of prog stuff just stuff that means a lot to and meant a lot to me when life was normal it's a I don't know I wonder if anybody else has done the same thing cuz it's like um it's really I find myself going to that playlist again and again because uh, it, it just, I don't know, it, I, I guess it, it harkens back to a time when things were normal. I don't know. I don't feel like listening to cold-sounding avant-garde jazz or stuff. It might be technically great, and, and maybe a few, like a year ago or before the pandemic, I, I was really into certain things musically, listening to new things and stuff, and, and I find myself just hanging on to that stuff, you know, the old stuff. Which may be quite pathetic, but it, it, I'm not about to. Uh, if you want to call me pathetic, you can, because it's just I do whatever I can to feel good yeah. or feel normal. You know, I think nostalgia has been pretty strong in a lot of people, especially of our generation, yeah. going back. Yeah. Um, a lot, you know, we all tend to look at things through rose-colored glasses, but it was a special period in time. Mm-hmm. And although I was just a couple of years too young to be right in the center of it, well, actually, maybe about three or four years, but I got a taste of it through friends, older siblings, and other people that I eventually got to know. And I think a lot of people are finding comfort and warmth going back to what they knew in the 60s and early 70s. So I don't think you're alone in that. I know I have. But First Circle is a good choice. I think it is. That's my favorite favorite Pat Metheny song. uh, I like uh, like Into the Mystic by Van mm-hmm. Morrison. That's yes. another great one. Pretty well anything by Jackson Brown. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. Um, yeah, there's just these tunes that uh, a couple of Jocko tunes here and there. Yeah, yeah. Well, Jocko with Joni, especially like Hajira, that album. You know, it's yeah. just oh man, it's just so beautiful. How are you moving forward in 2021 and beyond? It, the thing is, any thoughts or well, you just can't, day by day? You can't move forward until they tell you <laughs> what you're doing. You know, you can't you can't plan to move forward because they put a brick wall in front of you. Uh, you know, Doug Ford. Hey, listen, folks, I hate to do this, but you know, so it's hard to think about. I just think about. I'm trying to make some progress on the drums on on my Billy Cobham set. I'm trying to make progress. I'm trying to. Uh, it would be nice to lose this gut I have grown in the last year. That'd be nice. That'd be good. <laughs> he doesn't have a gut, folks. <laughs> it's a gut. Um, 
I still I have hope of, for my band to. I want to play a bunch with my band, you know, before I die. So um, <laughs> I'm hoping to. I, I you know I, I'm moving forward. You know, I hope all this happens again. But uh, like I said, you can't. You you really can't uh, will it to happen. You know, it's just you're. you're that's that's the other problem is you're floating in the wind with whatever happens uh you have no control of of your of your life basically what's the most important or impactful thing you've learned living through the past year i think uh <laughs> gratitude for what i had uh I, ha- I you know we we built this scene up with um brass transit it took 12 years we had got to the point where we're playing a lot every year. Uh, all the gigs are great. Uh, people love it, making money, you're having fun with the boys. We're doing more and more symphony gigs. So we built up this scene, and I had a bunch of scenes like that going on. And just my life was really, really good. And sometimes I guess I took it for granted. I complained about, you know, I hobble off an airplane and go, I don't know how many years I can do this. Well, now I'd be just grateful to, uh, to, hobble off. I'd be grateful. We used to get into what I call travel hell sometimes. One time, one night, we slept on the floor of the Houston airport. And um, I would give anything to sleep on the floor of an airport if it meant I was going to a gig now. So definitely, I I, I think I was taking things for granted. And I, my life was good, you know, and uh, I had built up this scene. It took me years and years and years to because I used to freelance and, and I did gigs that I didn't like and people I didn't like playing with. And for money that wasn't good or whatever, but I had built up a scene where everything I, I was loving, everything I was doing, all the music, the people I was with, it was just a great scene. And it, when it all went away, I went, holy shit, that was, wow, I miss this. This was great, you know. So, yeah, you got to definitely, it's, uh, gratitude is, you got to think about that, you know, like what what you had. So uh, I, I will, when I get back, see, notice how I say when I get back to that, I'm going to be going, yes. Thank you. It's going to be. I was saying to the guys, I say, you know, when we do that first gig again, I think I'm going to just be crying through the whole set, you know, because I'll just be like, I can't believe we're doing this, you know. <laughs> Two positives to come out of all of this: one personally, and one professionally. You're a cruel taskmaster. <laughs> positive. There's always something positive. Okay. To a well, the positive thing is the. Uh, I think I've gotten better at interpreting people's songs and recording and stuff it's starting to feel like I'm 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 I'm, I'm not Steve Gadd but I'm getting closer <laughs> to that to to being able to know what to play because right. that's all, always the thing especially uh, when you're young you don't really know what to play <laughs> so that's go, professional yeah personal uh, so I, and personal well uh, uh, I'm grateful for the things I got the good friends my uh, my my kids my granddaughter you know um because uh, that's all still there, so you know I'm, I'm grateful that's still there, and uh, and that I'm not worried about money per se. Uh, like at the, I, I um, my problems haven't so far. I mean, it could all change, but I haven't been worried about money that much. Uh, but uh, so there's some people out there that are wondering how they're going to pay the rent or mortgage or you think of the store owners and all the hell that people have, that I've. I've been bypassing all that, you know, I've still been living a pretty good life, eating and drinking whatever I want, and and even buying drums, like an idiot. You have also been, with your son, you have oh, performed yeah. on uh, one or two of his tracks now. That Three he's now. Right. Three. Yeah. And he's got, he's a, he, just sent me, he just sent me another one. So, uh, so that's a real kind of Yeah, cool it's thing. really cool to record with my son. And he seems to like having old dad on the, on the track. So, uh, yeah, so that's cool. If you could choose one artist or band you've dreamed of performing or sharing a stage with, preferably that's still alive, who would that be? Definitely John McLaughlin. Yeah, I do, I would really just like to play one song with him before I die. Of course, I said that to Alan Holdsworth, and and uh, he said we should do, and then he died, and uh, so I never got that chance. So yeah, uh, John McLaughlin definitely. That's that would okay. be it. That would be uh, heaven for Fair me. Enough. I wouldn't mind a Peter Gabriel in there though too. That would be pretty heavy. That'd be great. Yeah, a little watcher of the skies would be nice. Yeah, it'd be nice. Yeah. And if I could just play with Drake for 
30 seconds, you know, that would be just kidding, folks. Sorry. <laughs> I was going to say. I had a little, you can edit that out. What brings you joy now? Who or what brings you joy now? Well, my granddaughter brings me the most joy, I got to say. Uh, just, I, it's like, um, I, I always phone my daughter and say, I need a fix. I need an Ava fix. So, uh, yeah, just seeing that little bubbling, happy face, just, uh, yeah, definite. Thank you, Paul, Thank for you. spending the time to chat with me and sharing your thoughts. My pleasure. This interview was recorded at Soundhouse Studio, located on Eastern Avenue in Toronto, Canada. Owned by producer-engineer John Jameson, John is also my co-editor and mixer for all the interviews we record at Soundhouse. He makes us all sound good, and me sound like I know what I'm doing. With respect for the times we live in right now, all appropriate safety measures are taken during any in-person interview recorded at Soundhouse. Many thanks go to Eddie and Quincy Bullen and Paul DeLong for writing and performing the fantastic theme music for the show. And to all of you who have tuned in to listen to what these artists have to say, thank you for taking the time and inviting us into your cars, offices, and homes. I am Pat Blythe. You're listening to Love the Music. Have a great day and a wonderful evening. Mm-hmm.